MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone. It is time for episode 20 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. I am one of your hosts, Allison Gill. You know me as AG. And I'm Andrew. And it is Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021, when you are listening to this. But we actually recorded on Memorial Day. So we have some Memorial Day specific stories for you. Yes. And I hope everyone had a safe holiday weekend. And as always... Uh, I wanted to do a special shout out to our patrons who make this show possible by signing up for as little as a dollar an episode over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. That's A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. <laughs> shout out uh, this week uh, to our new patrons. Let's see. Nathan Panuco. Or is it uh, Natan? No, it, it is Nathan. That's a typo. It is Nathan. That's a typo. <laughs> that Davi Natan. is correct, though. <laughs> <laughs> Davi Nealis, uh, Gerald Moore, David D., Michael Talley, and Tommy. Yeah. And a big thank you to Phantom X, Satan Matt, Elizabeth, <laughs> Glenn Fleetwood, some relation to Mick, maybe, right? Beverly Smith, and... I aim to misbehave. That's a triple threat. That's a promise, a threat, and a Patreon name. So thank you all so much for supporting the show. Yes, absolutely. And in the spirit of Memorial Day, we had a moving speech by President Biden at Arlington National Cemetery, which is a pretty storied tradition for presidents. Uh, But this was not your typical speech, though. Uh, Biden's words were not the kind of solemn pablum optimism you usually expect on a holiday like this. Let's take an, let's take a sample. Quote, democracy itself is in peril here at home and around the world. What we do now, what we do now, how we honor the memory of the fallen will determine whether or not democracy will long endure. We owe the honored dead a debt we can never fully repay. We owe them our whole souls. We owe them our full best efforts to perfect the union for which they died. Yeah, that's a far cry from my fellow Americans. The state of the union is strong, right? Like, and, right. And, and look, I continue to be impressed with Joe Biden's willingness to keep the dialogue focused on the issues we urgently need to address. And so, you know, I, 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 I love that introduction. There's a, a particular passage a little bit later in the speech that I want to break down a little bit. Oh, I think I know the one you mean. Um, <laughs> the, okay, the the empathy is the fuel for uh-huh. democracy. Yep, yeah, yep, yep. Because uh, he said, "What our willingness? Let me hear. I've got it here. Our willingness to see each other not as enemies, uh, neighbors, even when we disagree, to understand what the other is going through, 
This nation was built in an idea, the only nation in the world built on an idea. Every other nation is built on an ethnicity, a geography, a religion, etc. We're building on idea, the idea of liberty and opportunity for all. We've never fully realized that aspiration of our founding. <sighs> but every generation has opened the door a little wider, and every generation has opened it wider and wider to be more inclusive. And that's just such an incredible... Speed. I, I wish Merrick Garland was on board. Yeah, <laughs> two <laughs> two votes. Yeah, um, I it, I I think that sentiment really nicely combines two of the biggest short and medium term threats that our country is facing. Right, irrational polarization and widening racial injustice. Right, and and of course those two overlap pretty substantially. Right, so yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's let's break down kind of what I mean by by irrational polarization now. I can already hear some of our listeners, right? Like, um, the two of us are pretty strong partisan Democrats. We raised money for Democrats. We unapologetically think that Republican policies are bad for America. You know, who are we to bemoan polarization, right? <laughs> right. You're like, I like to be polarized from Nazis. That's just yeah. kind yeah, of the... fair, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I think about it, I think about the irrational component of it, right? Yeah. I'm thinking about the Reuters poll that came out last week that shows over half of Republicans. Now, granted, only like 25% of people are Republicans. But half of them, 53% of them, think the answer to the question, who do you think is the true president, is Trump. Yeah. That compares to 3% of Democrats, which is what? Yeah. It's the poll's margin of error. That's what it is. It's zero. No Democrat yeah. thinks that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like saying 53% of Republicans think the sun is purple and orbits the earth, which... I I'm sure a lot of them do think yeah. that or that the universe is only 6,000 years old, uh, even though we've already done the half-life breakdown of uranium 238 for them. But I don't see how you can compromise or work with people with whom you don't have a common basis in facts, you know, just just science. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And, and I got to tell you, I don't know what to do about it, right? I, so I've been following the work of a Georgia State University professor. Her name is Jennifer McCoy. And she is, as far as I can tell, the biggest researcher out there publishing peer-reviewed literature on partisan polarization. She's been doing it even before Trump, although obviously her work has taken on a new urgency in the past few years. So this is from two separate, uh, again, um, published journals, academic research, peer-reviewed literature. This first one was in the American Behavioral Scientist in 2018. And she says, people increasingly perceive politics in terms of us versus them. When people become increasingly polarized, they, they become less willing and less able because of the declining links of social and political communication, collective actions, trust, cooperation, to reach out to others and seek their collaboration. Thus, the perception that democracy is not working is likely to grow. And citizens began to feel less satisfied with democracy as an institution and more willing to accept violations of democratic norms and support political ideologies skeptical of democracy. We really see that. This is what she wrote in, in 2016. And, and tell me if this is eerily prescient, right? 
At the extreme, each camp comes to perceive the other in such negative terms that a normal political adversary is transformed into an enemy posing an existential threat to be vanquished. Categorization extends to all aspects of life, not just the political, and peaceful coexistence is no longer perceived as possible. Communication breaks down, gridlock freezes government, and the resulting conflict may end in either gridlock with uh, instability with alternating governments failing to achieve governability or increasing authoritarian behavior by the incumbent to stay in power. Yeah, that was researched in 2015, published in July of 2016. Rather frightening. It's excruciatingly prescient. Yeah. I mean, I never thought we would have to defend things like elections in public discourse. Yeah. But, you know, here we are. And, and free speech, yeah. you know. Uh, and I do worry about our side as well. I mean, not that it's this is one of those phony both sides to it things. Right, no, right. after that, I'm not going there. But, you know, I increasingly find our allies. And, you know, I sort of, you know, throwing up their hands and saying, I don't know how to reach people who don't listen to facts. And that's also a really dangerous thing in, in, in democracy. I get why that opens the door for people to be open to non-democratic ideologies. And, of course, this isn't a blame thing yeah, I'm saying yeah. here. Um, but you know, there is kind of a, and then we also have our dooms, you know, our doom lords right, right. who are like, nothing's ever going to happen. Everything sucks. Both sides are the same. Yeah. 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 And we, I, we are, I mean, you know, we, we don't need to say that that's not us, right? Like this, the, yeah, you know, I frequently bemoan, right? The, the group of folks who believe that Hillary Clinton rapes and murders babies in the basement of a pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement, right? Like it, it, it I don't know what to do. I but don't know. It's the so solution. histrionic, right? Yeah. It's so histrionic because it, now it's like, oh, well, Merrick Garland blocked the memo. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to, uh, you know, go after obstruction of justice. They're not going to go after. Uh, the Manafort conspiracy with Kalimnik. Are you catching on yet? Are you waking up? You know, and it's like, oh God, it's not, it's not all either everyone's your fucking enemy or everything's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I have complaints. I have very big complaints about what Merrick Garland is doing yeah. and I'm happy to voice them, but in, but in no way does it equate to a Bill Barr situation or what we had over the past four years. That's the dangerous part, right? Yeah. And and what I what I like about Biden's speech. Right. And what and what I want to emphasize is I think it is important to talk about this in the context of these are people and we should be open to listening to them. Right. And not listen to them in the context of like, oh, it's important for Susan Collins to cut covid relief in half. Right. Like, let's not lose sight of the fact that. When it, when it comes to accomplishing objectives, I think the administration has been uncompromising. But I I, I think that oh yeah, yeah go ahead that that's I probably overstated that go ahead. No 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 <laughs> it's just you know we have a lot of Biden agenda left um, for the for the president to try to push this summer. We got six trillion dollar budget, a couple uh -huh. of three trillion dollar infrastructure packages, jobs plans, family plans. Uh, you know, we've got a lot. The Pro H Act, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, you know, HR one, justice and policing, voting rights, John Lewis voting rights. So much um, left to do, uh, and and Republicans in the Senate maneuvered a procedural vote to block the commission into the uh. insurrection, which they wrote. 
Yeah. Okay. No one seems to be saying that. It's like, oh, they blocked the Democrats' bill. No, the Republicans wrote that fucking thing, and then they yep. voted against it. It was like Obamacare. It was just all over again. Uh, and of course, Mansion is shocked. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Your, your performative shock is hilarious, Joe Manchin. Yeah. Uh, but you know that tells you there's not a lot of common ground here for yeah. from which to work. I still think at the end of the day, it's about building a public case for eliminating the filibuster, and getting to work. I said that today in the in the in the, the what's going to be Tuesday's episode, which is yesterday, if you're <laughs> listening to this on Wednesday, because time travel is fun. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. That was a Spaceballs moment, right? Like we're, we're watching the video like now we've gotten to now. <laughs> oh. But, you know, I talk about that and and how, look, there's we just have to stop even bothering. And we knew this. We knew this. There was no surprise. That's why we did budget reconciliation for the first COVID relief plan. Yep. Yep. And and, and so, look, it, it you talked about the agenda. I hope. I have no idea whether this will be a focus. Judging on the speech, it looked like this was uh, not line item number one. To me, if I were Joe Biden, I would want the For the People Act, H.R. 1, combined with the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, to be at the top of the working list as we move into the summer. Because until we fix those structural problems, until we get rid of gerrymandering and bullshit election Dark protection money. efforts, and uh, uh, we're going to be fighting from behind, right? And, and, and look, one of the things that's really, really encouraging is the, the actual facts on the ground from the 2020 election, right? So... It had the highest voter turnout of the 21st century. 17 million more people voted than voted in 2016. Almost all of that is due to vote by mail and extended voting periods, right? And that higher turnout was across all minority groups, right? So the the white share of the vote dropped from 69% to 67%, which is more in line with the population. H Hispanic voters surpassed 10% for the first time in a presidential election. They were 11% of the of the turnout, right? The our population is diversifying and the voting population for you know the first time began moving in a direction that that began to match up with the reality of, of people in the streets. And and that's terrifying to a certain political party. Yeah, actually, there was a bunch of research done on who the insurrectionists are. And it's the, <laughs> the population diversifying is the number one fear yep. amongst these middle-aged white professional men in general who, who were, you know, part partook in the insurrection in the trying to overthrow the United States government. And they all came from uh, areas where the population is diversifying. They're blue areas. They didn't come. They're not coming from the red, the red place, you know, the red rural counties. They're coming from like Houston. Texas is one of the, you know, in the blue, in the blue areas. And that's their number one complaint is the great replacement is what they call it. Um, and now we've got 43 states in which Republicans have introduced or passed odious new voter suppression laws trying to undo those gains that's their biggest fear so we will continue to watch and see how to clean up this mess it's it's so much bigger than anyone could have even imagined and as it as we go on it's just uh, as we peel away the layers of the onion it's it's starting to stink yeah but uh, anyway on that 
pleasant note, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. Um, we have a lot of show uh, yet for you to come, so we hope you stick around. And if you want these episodes ad-free, you know what to do. Become a patron. It's just a dollar an episode. We'll be right back after this message. Hey, everybody. It's Allison, and today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Monk Pack. As you know, I am a snacker. I like to graze all day, and I'm always looking for delicious, healthy snacks. But usually, the healthier they are, the worse they taste. Most healthy snacks don't satisfy your cravings or fill you up either. But I'm excited to share I found the answer with Monk Pack. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories each. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, the perfect snack for anyone who wants to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have that perfect balance of sweet and salty with a crunch from the whole nuts and seeds, but they manage to be soft and chewy. They come in delicious flavors like caramel sea salt, sea salt dark chocolate, and peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite is caramel sea salt, although that might change because I think I might get into the peanut butter dark chocolate ones. They're all so good. And since they're packed with protein, they're satisfying. So you can bring them with you to have after a workout or take on a hike or a bike ride with you. And they are all keto-friendly and gluten-free and plant-based. They have no GI. No soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols, and no artificial colors. I am obsessed with these bars and probably eat more than I should, but that's okay because they're super healthy. And to make sure I'm always fully stocked, I signed up for a subscription to my favorite flavors, which saves me 10% on every order and ships them to me directly. Getting those delicious treats delivered to me on a regular basis has been a game changer for my effort to eat healthier. Try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for listeners. Get 20% off your purchase of any Monk Pack product just by visiting monkpack.com and entering code CLEANUP all one word, at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee, so if you don't like them for any reason, they will exchange it for you or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to monkpack.com, that's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com, and select any product. Then enter the code CLEANUP, all one word, at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on, and we thank them for sponsoring CleanUp on Aisle 45. Hey, everyone, welcome back. Let's talk about Merrick Garland for a minute. <laughs> a couple hours after we recorded our last episode, we know that the Justice Department responded to Judge Amy Berman Jackson's opinion ordering the agency to release the March 2019 Bar Post Hoc Bullshit OLC memo, yep. which is its official name. <laughs> uh, both Andrew and I have gone over that uh it, we, well, Andrew did a little last-minute clip for the last week of Clean Up on Aisle 45, and we've covered it extensively on our other show, so we won't belabor uh, these points. But there's more going on at DOJ besides potentially looking into obstruction of justice, now that we know McGahn will be testifying to the judiciary this Friday. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm sure that had, had uh, Bill Barr, or excuse me, had the Department of Justice released the second part of the Bill Barr memo, uh, we would have seen quite a, an interesting argument for why the president can't obstruct justice and, and how even though Barr testified that a corrupt pardon is a crime, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to justify that away too. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, I'm upset about that. But um, they're pretend they could look into obstruction of justice. I don't know if he has the appetite to do that. That might be why he kept that whole second part of that memo closed because if, he, if it was made it to the public, there would be an outcry for prosecuting obstruction of justice and potentially investigating bill barr <laughs> so you know there's that but um there's more 
than the insurrection investigation going on at the Department of Justice, which just dropped a 13-count superseding indictment for conspiracy, but not sedition (laughs) on the Oath Keepers. And not to mention all the investigations into policing and civil rights that are going on right now. You know, the the indictments for... um, uh, breaking civil rights violations by, you know, the f- former officer Derek Chauvin who murdered George Floyd, et cetera, yep. looking into Louisville, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot going on in the DOJ right now, and we actually have a little bit more to tell you about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that just scratches the surface, right? Like, as new out this week, uh, Merrick Garland has directed the Justice Department to expand funding and other resources to states and municipalities to help track and investigate hate crimes. And has ordered prosecutors to step up both criminal and civil investigations into hate incidents. Um, And by the way, those are no longer defined as like um, when uh, certain religious groups feel like they've been insulted for discriminating against uh, LGBTQ folks. Right. Um, Yeah. But I mean, you know, we 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 joke, but that was the civil rights division under Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in, in a memo to, to yes, DOJ employees. The, the, gay <laughs> oh, cake, the gay cake section of the uh, Department of Justice. It, it, it was there, right? Uh, so, memo to employees. Garland said that Vanita Gupta will assign someone to coordinate a hub on hate crimes by working with prosecutors, law enforcement, and community groups to ensure that there are adequate resources to investigate and track hate crimes. And, um, you know, I mean, that resources point is a, a common threat, right? I... I I share your top line concerns, right? We, we talked extensively about our disappointment uh, at, at, at Garland's decision uh, to appeal and seek a stay uh, on the Engel memo. Um, it, yeah, it, I mean, it sort of overshadows what did come out of that memo, which is pretty damning. Yep. yep, uh, yep. But, you know, to want to hide the second part of it, it's like when Amy Berman Jackson's reasoning was, reasoning was so clear, I couldn't make heads or tails of the Department of Justice's reason to not release it. it they were it, they actually said, well, what we think Bill Barr meant to say was this, and we're sorry as the Department of Justice, we're sorry that they didn't say it properly. So when said properly, this is why we want to withhold <laughs> the second part of the memo. It's like, what? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the, uh, I... Yeah, I paused. We've... I paused because I'm in violent agreement, and our listeners can't see me <laughs> nodding. Uh, violent and, agreement, and, and giving you a thumbs up as as you speak. But but but, but there yeah. is right. So counter argument, right? The DOJ ought to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Counter mm-hmm. counter argument. That th- there are a lot of things in the hopper. <laughs> there, 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 are, are, there are, you know, four hundred pending prosecutions in connection with the one six insurrection. More. Yeah, and and it's a resources issue. So, but you know, they need to go after the big fish too, and I don't see any indication of that, which is also maddening. But this particular memo, this one about the hate crimes, comes at a time when Asian Americans have faced increased attacks and racist encounters since the start of COVID, because then President Donald Trump first was blaming the coronavirus on China. And, you know, President, earlier this month, we signed into law that the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, which designates a Justice Department employee to expedite a review of hate crimes reported to police during the pandemic. Yeah, and and that's a theme. You may recall that we reported back in March that Garland announced that he was launching a 30-day expedited review to explore ways that the department could improve efforts to prosecute hate crimes and collect better data, right? 
Thursday's memo implements some requirements in the law and some recommendations from that prior review. And and again, it's it's part of the long pattern of actually following through on your press releases, doing the hard work, gathering the data, allocating the resources. Yes. Now, if he would just follow through with that part of his confirmation hearing where he said he would start on the ground with the insurrection and go right. up after the big people. Uh, anyway, just a little throwing in my little complaints there. But this memo also does, this is cool, this memo designates an official who will be tasked with expediting the review of hate crimes and calls on U.S. attorney's offices, who, where are they, by the way, uh, to assign local criminal and civil prosecutors to serve as civil rights coordinators. Cool, right? Quote, acts of hate do not always acts of hate do not always rise to the level of federal hate crimes, but such hate incidents still have a destructive effect on our communities. Federal civil statutes sometimes provide remedies when federal hate crimes statutes do not. And Andrew, I think that this is the perfect assignment for Vanita Gupta. I, I think that's exactly right. And look, to appoint this person. Yeah, you know? this was clearly the mindset behind Gupta's nomination to be associate attorney general, right? The third ranking official at DOJ. Her background is impeccable in this. She has been the associate attorney general for civil rights. Uh, she was a staff attorney at the ACLU back in the early 2000s. Right. This is somebody whose life work is dedicated to um, fighting for equality at it, you know, and this this ties together with our first segment, right? Like we 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 talked about the two themes of Biden's Memorial Day speech, right? The first the first being our, our democracy is under an existential threat. And the second being, you know, part of the reason we want to improve that is to continue to uh, get our foot in the door and 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 widen that uh those opportunities to help, you know, kind of live up to our founding promise. I, I, I you know, mm. I, I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Like those, those words resonate with me. So yeah. And, and her life's work leads up yeah. to this moment. And I just hope that uh, our DOJ gets, takes a little bit of a more of an aggressive stance in, in these, in these policies is just kind of my feeling about it, but no disagreement there. Uh, we do have other stuff that's being cleaned up, as it were, since this is clean up on aisle 45. Uh, in the latest reversal of Trump-era policy, Biden administration's EPA is restoring a rule, restoring, yep. restoring a rule that grants states and Native American tribes authority to block pipelines and other energy projects that can pollute river streams and other waterways. Did you know they had that authority in the law? <laughs> so in in. Digging into the APA, <laughs> you know, I, I found that. So here's what happened, right? Um, there was a prior, there, so there's a provision in the Clean Water Act that gives states and tribes the power to block federal projects that could harm lakes, streams, rivers, and wetlands, right, within their borders. Um, that implementation is subject to rulemaking by the EPA. And of course, Trump's EPA, his fossil fuel buddies got together and they they crafted the implementation of that review such as to curtail that power and then fast tracked a whole bunch of oil and natural gas pipelines and projects. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> In a yeah. statement to the AP. 
the EPA administrator, that's a lot of acronyms, and state <laughs> to the Associated Press, the Environmental Protection Agency administrator, Michael Reagan, said the nation has, quote, serious water challenges to address, adding that he will not hesitate to correct decisions that weakened the authority of states and tribes to protect their waters. Uh, Reagan has vowed to work with state, tribal, and local officials to protect clean water while encouraging, quote, sustainable economic development and vibrant communities. Yeah. And here's the nuts and bolts of that provision. Reagan called restoration of the Section 401 provision, that's the one I mentioned previously, an important step to reaffirm the authority of states and tribes to regulate projects that affect water quality within their borders. Under Section 401, a federal agency may not issue a license or permit to conduct any activity that may result in any discharge into navigable waters unless the affected state or tribe certifies that the discharge is in compliance with the Clean Water Act and state law or if they waive certification. Yeah, and and that very interestingly, um, I imagine came up in lawsuits. Uh, you know, we've <laughs> there were so many times that there's just so many times that this has come up and it just seems like it can't be legal to curtail a provision of a law by policy oh well yeah well he's gone <laughs> fuck him it, it, <laughs> we're fixing again it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is this is why control of the executive branch matters even when the legislature is deadlocked mm, gotcha well, uh, we do have to take another quick break here. Uh, so if everybody will uh, bear with us, uh, you will hear me read a very awesome piece of advertising. And then we'll be back <laughs> with more show right after this. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG. I've got a big announcement for cereal lovers like me. If you love a good bowl of cereal, but not all the sugars and chemicals and carbs, Magic Spoon is here for you. Today's episode of Clean Up on L45 is brought to you by Magic Spoon, the super delicious but incredibly healthy cereal that brings joy to your mornings, afternoons, or midnight snacky times. Longtime listeners know my favorite food growing up is always cereal. Sit down in front of Saturday morning cartoons, eat the bowl of cereal, maybe a couple bowls of cereal, drink the delicious milk, but I've had to give it up as an adult because of all the carbs and sugar. But I recently tried Magic Spoon and it tastes exactly like the cereal from your childhood, but it's super nutritious. Magic Spoon magically has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, four net grams of carbs in each serving and only 140 calories per serving. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free, and you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. I love the great new flavors. Combining them is amazing, too. I like to mix cocoa with peanut butter. Tastes like a peanut butter cup. So go to magicspoon.com cleanup to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use promo code cleanup at checkout, all one word, to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund all your money. No questions asked. And remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com cleanup and use code cleanup to save $5 off. And thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring the show. Everybody, welcome back in a story that broke late last week that I know you've been waiting for us to cover. <laughs> We learn Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance Jr. convened a state grand jury in New York to review information regarding the Trump Organization and its principles, which, of course, includes the former president, as well as his criminally corrupt crotch fruit, his children, and CFO in charge of knowing where all the financial bodies are buried, Alan Weisselberg. Um, 
Now, here's some interesting news that's come out also in the last mm. couple of weeks, because what I think they're looking here at is the corrupt businesses law, which is which I think they refer to as Little Rico in New York, <laughs> which just requires, Andrew, and correct me if I'm wrong, three crimes intended to bolster the bottom line of a company illegally. And I'm sure they'll be able to find that going on but we just kind of need to see if weisselberg is gonna flip right yeah i i so a uh you you are 100 percent correct on the new york little rico law right and and uh little in terms of what you have to prove uh big in the fact that it is a serious class a felony carries a prison term of up to 25 years right and a so, mando minimum it's got a mando minimum of yeah. one to two years yeah, right right i mean so it is some jail time and again remember donald trump is 74 and eats mcdonald's six times a week so you know well one to three years mandatory minimum like you know i think i think if trump spends any time in uh, in prison that uh, I would consider that a victory. In any event, yeah, if he makes it to yeah. to <laughs> trial, you know, yeah, your we'll your see. lips to God's ears, AG. I so, don't want that to happen. I want to see the I, I got to uh, see the orange jumpsuit. I agree. Dana, I agree. Dana, our our co-host on uh, the Bean said, "God, I hope there's a golf cart chase." <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's gonna have. Do you remember Power Wheels when we were kids? Right, pow, pow, power wheels. Pow, there you pow, go. Pow, power wheels. So now I'm picturing a golf cart that's decked out like O.J. Simpson's white Bronco. But in any event, all right, we got a we got a show to get back to. Look, um, I I I do want to be very very clear here that uh, you know this is this is you know these are beans. This is speculation. Grand jury proceedings are secret. So. Everything we know comes either from off-the-record disclosures or Michael Cohen, who's told us that he's been interviewed eight times by Vance's office, right? Um, and, and, and so we're left kind of piecing things together. I think it is no coincidence that we have seen in-depth reporting from three years ago by The New York Times as to Trump's valuation of his properties. And uh, that in-depth report, if you haven't read it, you, you, you need to— um, outlines uh, what is very clear tax fraud, right? So look, at the end of the day, we don't know what's on the table, but we absolutely can make an informed guess, right? That the prior investigation, which has been going on for two years, turned up mm -hmm. such specific evidence that Vance wanted to cover his, you know, to, to, to convene a brand new grand jury to make it explicit that whatever crimes they're considering and against whom they are considering those crimes are within the grand jury's mandate. Yeah, and it actually make me makes me think, and this is totally speculative beans, I've not <laughs> heard anything about this, but I think Weisselberg is going to cooperate, and I think that we'll be able to see grand jury secrecy, sacrosanct, right? Uh, federal and state grand jury, very secret. However, the, you're going to go over some of these differences uh, between federal and state, is it grand's jury? No, <laughs> grand jury. Um, because Pillsbury we... grand's jury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if we hear tell from lurking reporters around the courthouse that Weisselberg is making an appearance at these grand jury proceedings, that is extremely significant. Tell us why, because I know that that's one of the main differences yeah. between a state and a federal grand jury. 
Okay, so a lot to unpack there. First, quick bit of constitutional trivia, right? So the the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution says that no person shall be held to answer answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime, right? And and, and look, that we can talk about infamous, that basically means felony, uh, but crime there means federal crime, right? Unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury. So in federal court, right, a prosecutor can't just indict you unless either you consent to it by waiving your right to a grand jury. And by the way, like that happens a lot in plea deals of the sort that, you know, you covered extensively on Mueller she wrote, right? Right. Or, Charging information. Exactly. Right. What we see. And the way in which you get that information uh, in the absence of a grand jury is uh, by having the criminal defendant agree to waive that that particular provision of the Fifth Amendment, right? Or you can have the grand jury return an indictment, right? It's called a true bill. Uh, and don't ask me why that was set up in 13th century Saxony. But look, um, as, as it turns out, like for the past 200 years or so, pretty much every legal theorist, right, left, right, center, doesn't matter, um, has sort of come to the conclusion that the right to a grand jury isn't really a substantive protection for criminal defendants from unfair prosecution. Ah, right. Well, that's because the whole grand juries and die to ham sandwich thing, right? I yeah. mean, <laughs> the grand jury is ex parte, one sided. They meet in secret. There was the, the 23. Has anyone written a book called The 23? Because it sounds <laughs> like there should be a book called The 23. Uh, they're responsible only to the prosecutor. And you, as the target, don't even have the right to testify in your defense. So it seems like that doesn't kind of mean a whole lot. Yeah, that's exactly right for federal grand juries, right? So put a pin in the testify in your own defense. Um, there's a there's a fantastic little provision that I want to get to. Um, but but look, you, you are exactly right in that summary, right? It's it's why the right to a grand jury is one of the very few protections in the Bill of Rights. It it. it my guess is that uh, in the near future, it will be the only aspect of the Bill of Rights that has not been incorporated out to the states. And here's what that means, right? Like the, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. But the 14th Amendment incorporates that out to the, to the states. So your state legislature cannot establish a religion or censor the press or whatever. The First Amendment is incorporated to them. But your state doesn't have to indict you by grand jury, even for federal, even for capital or infamous crimes. Now, almost every state except Connecticut and Pennsylvania does. Right. Um, but uh, and that includes New York. So, you know, so th there's a little bit of trivia here. But but I think that it's important to understand that almost nobody thinks of this as uh, a a substantive protection for criminal defendants anymore. So, like I said, New York is one of those states. There is a parallel provision in the New York State Constitution that is Article 1, Section 6, and it requires ah. you to be indicted by grand jury. Interesting. And and under New York law, the grand jury sits for a maximum of six months, which has, has been added. This, that's what this one is. Yep. Uh, it will have 23 members and meet three days per week. That's a lot. Uh, and it's going to do two things, issue subpoenas and gather and review evidence. Uh, and two, at, uh, at the prosecutor Cy Vance's discretion, evaluate the evidence and determine if probable cause exists. Probable cause exists yep. to indict one or more persons or organizations for a crime or multiple crimes. Lots of criming. Yeah, that is exactly right. So 
few points that I want to emphasize here, right? So first, unlike pettit juries, and, and pettit jury just means like the kind of jury you're used to seeing on TV, right? 12 <laughs> the people one that... From, the one from uh, Order of... Uh, what is it? Order of Rights that we watched for God-awful movies? <laughs> that kind yeah. of jury? <laughs> or or Pauly Shore's jury duty or right, any, any number of these, right? Like, so a, a pettit jury, a regular jury, right, determines guilt or innocence, right? Um, uh, grand jury just decides whether to return an indictment or not. And the grand jury doesn't have to be unanimous. You just need a bare majority. You need 12 people on that grand jury to determine that probable cause exists, right? Not that it's more likely than not, not beyond a reasonable doubt that probable cause exists to believe that a person has committed a crime. Okay. First point. Second, when considering evidence, the grand jurors themselves get to ask questions of any of the witnesses that are summoned to testify before it. Think about that one. Right? Wow. Um, the prosecutor has more leniency as to what kind of evidence that he can introduce. And you can even introduce some kinds of hearsay evidence that would not be admissible at trial. Right. So broader standard for what they can consider. And the jurors can ask follow up questions. Except in a state grand jury right i think new york is really weird about their hearsay so new york curtails that somewhat such that it overlaps a lot with the federal rules but there but it's still slightly broader really really excellent um distinction there though right so um third uh the grand jury as you pointed out you were uh, also right on this takes its direction directly from the prosecutor right so th this is one of those things right <laughs> it comes up in my practice all the time uh when people sit for a deposition and they realize well now it's you know over zoom but you know previously it was it, you know be like we would be in a conference room you know at my office or in a hotel or so and they'd be like well where's the judge and it's like no no no, no. That, right like this, this is a depo like a uh, judge doesn't sit in a deposition similarly that there isn't a judge like just hanging out for six months uh, presiding over this grand jury. It is Cy Vance uh, and his staff is directly in charge. It is just the jurors, a member of Cy Vance's office. Um, and there's a court reporter there to transcribe the proceedings, which proceedings are then confidential. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and my beans are on that. It's Pomerantz. It's probably going to run that show. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. And last point, I told you to put a pin in it. Um, I, I, I hope this is going to blow your mind. Right. Really weird quirk under New York law. You actually do have the right as a defendant to testify before the grand jury if you want to. <laughs> what <laughs> does, does that mean we're going to see? Because here's the thing, right? Like, no lawyer would tackle Donald Trump on the way to that <laughs> wouldn't would not tackle Donald Trump on the way to that if he would play and attended but it just seems like something he would want to do you know I, it, although it's not there's no TV cameras in there it's a secret stuff so maybe not yeah that would be a that would be a uh, no Mr. Trump please proceed but yeah. so th there there is there is no chance it will actually happen I was I was hoping that I could uh, trip you up with it because you see wh while you have the right to demand to testify before a grand jury in New York under this is criminal procedure law 190.45 subsection 1 Sorry, I'm a geek. In order to exercise that right, and I love this, you have to sign a waiver of immunity 
that stipulates that you waive the privilege of self-incrimination, quote, and any possible or prospective immunity to which you would otherwise become entitled as a result of giving evidence in such proceeding, end of quote. And that is what brings me to that initial <laughs> point I made about Alan Weisselberg. If those little lurker reporters see him going in and out of there, that means he's cooperating. Or unless he's waived his immunity and he wants to go in and talk, which is not going to fucking happen. So that's kind of where I was coming at when, you know, when we started this conversation about the differences between federal and state grand juries, grand's jury, uh, is, hey, if Weisselberg's going in there a couple times a day, he's cooperating 99% sure. And I it, think that we will see that. I think we will see that. It, that is exactly right. right? Because, because look, um, Weisselberg does have the right to assert his Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. Um, if he declines to do so, if he waives it, um, that almost I, again that it axiomatically tells us uh, that he has some kind of immunity deal. Um, yeah, and and not even Trump is stupid enough to waive. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wish. That. I uh, wish. <laughs> I can't imagine this provision ever gets invoked uh, because then you, as the witness, have to give up your right against self-incrimination, like you said. But unlike a trial where you've watched the entire proceedings unfold and you have some sense of what the jury has heard, here you don't know what the grand jury knows. You're just walking in blind, going up cold. You don't even know what to rebut. Yeah, that is exactly right. And look, if you guess wrong, the second you leave the grand jury, that's right, the grand jury can go, hey, man, that was kind of weird how Trump insisted he never committed any fraud with any banks in Idaho. Like, we, we haven't heard specific. Well, yeah, why haven't we investigated Idaho? And what they do, seriously, is that they would then issue a subpoena to the largest banks in Idaho and mm -hmm. like... And when they get back the records from those Idaho banks and they contradict Trump's sworn testimony, that is the easiest indictment ever. Right. And and Trump could then be compelled to testify because he's waived his rights against self -incred. So, yeah, he he will not be doing that. I'm sorry. To, sorry to say. <laughs> no. And so, you know, grand jury, super secret, sacrosanct. We hear that word all the time yep. when we're talking about the grand jury secrecy. Uh, we didn't get. Uh, grand jury materials from the Watergate administration, the Watergate investigation until a couple of years ago when we got the Jaworski, you know, yep. roadmap. We're not going to see the grand jury Mueller report stuff. I mean, they filed for it in court, <laughs> but I mean, it's hard stuff to get. So how are we going to know what's going on? I mean, I figure at some point we'll get a big, long speaking indictment, but yeah. As things are happening, how are we going to know about it? I mean, like I said, maybe there'll be people lurking who will recognize Weisselberg going in and out. But, you know, what other how other ways are the other ways we're going to learn about this? Yeah. So we, we know this bit because, quote, people familiar with the development, end of quote, <laughs> spoke off the record on conditions of anonymity. And look, you can narrow that down to two groups of people, right? Um who, who would then be familiar with this development, either the people who convened the grand jury, that means people in Cy Vance's office, or the target of said investigation, meaning Trump, Trump org, his kid. Right? And we know it's not that. Right. So. So look, right. this leak came from Vance's office. Right. We will not hear from the grand jurors. We will not hear from any of the witnesses except 
Michael Cohen who can't shut up, right? Um, <laughs> and, and and so you know, as we move kind of to the bean section of this, but right? That's, like that's the endearing thing about Michael Cohen. It's <laughs> one of the things I like about. He's him. a lovable taxi scamp. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Loves the medallion stallion. He's uh, just adorable. Uh, but look, so so. When I think about you know the, the the beans portion of this right like what 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 does it mean? Um, I think it is really significant that Cy Vance's people wanted this story to leak right. And I know a lot of I've seen the stories. I know the folks on our side who are you know critical who you know want to link up uh, Vance and connections to Trump and everything. It, I yeah I with see the fraud that, that let Ivanka and Don Jr. off the I, hook after it, receiving a donation, etc. I I I'm familiar with those stories. What I will tell you is. Um, it gives me a lot of confidence to know that his office wanted this story to break because now, right. If Trump isn't indicted, that, that, that is going like, everybody's going to ask why. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that is, that is not a great story when you have an investigation for two and a half years. Uh, and you know, and you return an indictment on Alan Weisselberg for, you know, unpaid mm-hmm. taxes from 2014 mm-hmm. or whatever right like that's why i think he's cooperating i i i, I share those i share that 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 means with you for that for those reasons yeah. tish james making her announcement you know we've sent two deputies down and we're we're come we're wonder twin powers fucking activate indict that that uh, is you know, joining I, I, forces i yeah i want to jump in and i want to tell you i i asked uh some of my friends who are state prosecutors um no, nobody in New York, but but uh, to to get an opinion on uh, Tish James cooperating with with Cy Vance's office and to a person, I asked three people and to a person, they all said like, yeah, that never happens. Like what you typically have are turf wars. And over, you especially yeah. you especially never announce it like that, like right. dum da da da, you know. Yeah. And that's more of another sign that I think you, uh, that this is charges are coming and they will come and it won't just be Weisselberg. Uh, and, and why I think he's cooperating. And then also, you know, you've got Preet Bharara brought this up. He's like, look, they hired a forensic accounting firm. The same one, by the way, that was uh, that the Mueller investigation used on the Manafort tax fraud. Very successful uh, prosecution there until a pardon happened. Um and then you've got the hiring of Pomerantz. You've got Vance retiring, decided to not run again. Uh, all of these clues, you know, and then the team up. And like you said, very rare, never happens with the New York Attorney General's office, who's, by the way, been it had a criminal probe open into Weisselberg since at least January. So there's they're far along on this thing, too, Andrew, you know. And so all these signs, I think I, I really want to tell people I know. Ah, it's been four years. Nothing ever happens. He's Teflon Don. He'll slide away from, slip away from everything. I don't think that's the case here. And there's just so much mounting evidence pointing toward an indictment coming. I I, I think that's right. Subject to all the caveats we've said in this yes. segment. But uh, but there you go. All right. Going to be fun to it's gonna be a fun summer. <laughs> we've I've, I've resurrected the, the podcast Mueller she wrote uh, and we've dusted off the fantasy indictment draft uh, and he's going to be one of the star quarterbacks so <laughs> keep watching keep listening we're going to be right back with the comings and goings we're going to say bye bye and hello aloha and aloha 
to a bunch of people. So uh, we'll be right back after this quick message. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this last segment of Clean Up on Aisle 45 is brought to you by StudyMD. Remember when telehealth was a nice idea, something that seemed convenient but not necessary? That is now a thing of the past. So many of us are avoiding going to doctor's offices right now. And also, there's just the convenience factor. And there's a practical and affordable way to control your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. In your jammies, if you want. It's called Steady MD Primary Care. It's your personal doctor online. It's telehealth done right. You start by taking a quick quiz to get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your lifestyle and your health needs. Next, you have a one-hour appointment, like an intake appointment with your doctor, to set up a real relationship. After that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone, or video. Uh, and unlike other services, this isn't a random doctor on call. Each SteadyMD doctor has a limited number of patients on their panels, so they have time to listen and give you the personal attention you deserve. I actually found the quiz to be fun and super informative, and I loved my match. Catered just to me. I felt immediately comfortable and confident with my provider. And they cater to the most popular lifestyle health matches like paleo, gluten-free, keto, Whole30, vegetarian, and so many more. SteadyMD primary care physicians can help you get and stay healthy, manage chronic conditions, reduce stress, lose weight, sleep better, feel better, boost your immunity, and much, much more. All from the comfort of your own home. So skip the waiting room, skip the germs. Prescriptions are sent directly to your home or local pharmacy. All medical records are in one place, and you get unlimited access to your doctor for just $99 a month. No additional visit fees or co-pays. SteadyMD will even help you understand and get the most out of your health insurance, but insurance is not required. SteadyMD Primary Care is now accepting members of all ages in all 50 states. So go to SteadyMD.com cleanup to take the free quiz and see which doctor is a perfect fit for you. Steady, S-T-E-A-D-Y-M-D dot com slash cleanup. There's no risk, no long-term commitments to get started. That's steadymd.com slash cleanup, and we thank them for sponsoring the show. Welcome back, everybody. I know you're closely following the Postal Board of Governors saga. And as of this week, all three of Biden's nominees have been confirmed by the Senate, giving a Demo- the Democrats a 5-4 majority on the board. Kind of? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, look, like... Let's welcome the three nominees, right? Anton Hajar, former general counsel of the American Postal Workers Union, Ron Stroman, former deputy postmaster general, and Amber McReynolds, who leads the nonprofit National Vote at Home Institute, right? However, caveat, even with the 5-4 majority, one of the Democrats, the chairman of the Board of Governors, Ron Bloom, is actually backing DeJoy's reforms of the post office yeah yeah i'd like to see bloom go yeah if he won't agree to fire DeJoy, i think DeJoy should be in the jail yeah no question uh as we know DeJoy has been accused of hampering mail service uh and rightfully so including the delivery of mail-in ballots destroying sorting machines and he did all this to help Trump's failed re-election bid. Uh, DeJoy, of course, denies these very clear, obvious fucking allegations. He was also criticized for a steep decline of on-time deliveries around the holiday season. The Postal Service is considered uh, relaxing delivery standards. It's considering relaxing delivery standards for first-class mail. So instead of one to three days, one to five days now. Uh, but they say that they have 70% of the mail would still be delivered within three days. So... That's some of the some of the stuff. Yeah, uh, not not to mention the enormous personal conflict of interest and economic benefit that Louis DeJoy stands to gain from privatizing the constitutionally protected postal service. Yeah, and I want Dems to be aggressive AF on this. Yeah, yeah, 
It, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Look. Yeah, it's, um, it, we got to go after him. We got to fire him. Get rid of Bloom. If Bloom won't fire him, he needs to at least be fired. He should be being investigated. I, it, it, I have nothing to add to that. It is. It was crooked from the get-go. Uh, the 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 evidence is clear. This is not a hard case to make in public uh, because you know everybody has suffered through. You know, I did. I had a piece of mail arrive 37 days later. Uh, it was delivered from the courthouse, right, to my Towson office. The courthouse is in walking distance from my Towson office, right? Like, you could have stapled this to a tortoise and pointed it at my office, and it would have arrived f- faster than the mail. Like, I'm, I, I, I'm not kidding about that. Anyway, um, so uh, in addition to USPS, um, Let's talk about the Federal Commission on Fine Arts, right? <laughs> this is this is not a thing I ever thought I would be covering on a. I never you know, even <laughs> heard of it. It's yeah. Pro- it's just a thing. You're like what? it's t- what? What is the Federal Commission of Fine Arts? So supposed to be quiet, low key design advisory group. Uh, somehow the other guy managed to turn that into a controversy. Um, you you might recall that Trump signed. I, I I cannot believe I have to say this. An executive order as part of his imaginary culture wars that established classical architecture <laughs> as the preferred style for for new federal buildings i mean i was hoping for you know neo-brutalist myself but uh, and, and brass it needs a lot of brass i want it to look like the omelet bar at mar lago a guy uh, that has a gold toilet should not be you know giving input on uh, yeah, how federal worst, buildings should be designed. The worst but, fucking taste. Uh, it's so it is, tacky. It is. Um, it is exactly Steve Martin in the Jerk, right? Like it, it, it yeah, is uh, Steve Martin in the Jerk. You want you know those S-shaped hedges I wanted? Well, I yeah. got those too. Yeah. <laughs> um, now all seven members of this board were appointed by Trump. Four of them were appointed on January twelfth of this year. Yeah. <laughs> the commission's chairman, Justin Shubo, or Shabao, I don't know what you want to call him, <laughs> who was a driving force behind the push to promote classical architecture, said that he and three other members of the commission, the architect Stephen Spandle, the artist Chaz Fagan, and the landscape architect with the S-shaped hedges, Perry Gillot, or Guillaume, I don't know, maybe he's very French. Iron Balls McGinty, let's call him that, had been asked to resign. They've been asked to resign. Yeah, and uh, and Justin over there wanted to add that the appointments uh, are supposed to be for four years, and, you know, this breaks with longstanding precedent, which is certainly a thing that Trump never did. Um, so, so Justin declined to resign. Um, which brings us to the second part of the letter he got. And I love this about the Biden administration. The second part of the letter said, oh, by the way, um, pretty please resign. If you don't, you will be terminated at 6 p.m. the same day. We've that's They've got a macro that's like a control <laughs> T for that in all the uh, nice Word template. documents. Yeah, The same day. Same resign? Day. You yeah. have today to resign or you're fired at 6. Take, take all the time you need within the next four hours to think about this. <laughs> yeah. Now, Shubo replied to the email saying, this is Justin, our friend Justin yeah. here, the, the chair. He said, quote, and he 
replied to the he actually replied to the email and the commission's 110 year history. No commissioner has ever been removed by a president, let alone the commissioners, the commission's chairman. Any such removal would set a terrible precedent. Yeah. Very big, bad, terrible legal precedent over there at the Arts Commission uh, advisory <laughs> board for architecture for federal buildings. Uh, OK. And uh, so he sent that email. What a terrible precedent. Uh, I, I imagine Biden responded. Bye bye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, also, Biden plans to appoint four new members so we can say aloha after we say aloha. Four new members include Peter Cook. Now, this is the thing about the Biden administration. <laughs> Even the Fine Arts Advisory Council for Architecture for Federal Buildings are so well qualified. Okay, so Peter Cook, principal at HGA Architects, who has worked on the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Mm-hmm. Hello, welcome, Peter Cook. Hazel Ruth Edwards, the chair of the Howard University Department of Architecture. Howard University yep. Department of Architecture. Welcome, Hazel Ruth Edwards. Justin Garrett Moore, a designer and urbanist at the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. And Billy Tsein, a partner at Todd Williams Billy Tsein Architects. Yeah, and, 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 and look, um, that... That does not mean that classical architecture is going to be verboten, that, you know, everything that the Biden administration develops are going to be yurts or whatever, right? This brings yurts. a <laughs> tiny amount of diversity, right? Like, so I'm classical finally, architecture, yeah. I'm hoping finally the FBI gets their goddamn new headquarters, yeah, you know, it, now it, that now that GSA Emily isn't there to, right, to right. cover up the, the you know, they didn't uh, want to have the a hotel. So he kept the he kept the FBI in a crumbling asbestos laden building, refused to move them into the to a new facility. Uh, kind of a little further away because he was afraid that a hotelier would buy that and develop into a hotel that would co- that would compete <laughs> with the Trump International Downtown Hotel in Washington D.C. Uh, that is so that corrupt, is so Trump, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yep. So right, classical architecture is the thing you think of when you think about monuments in Washington D.C. Right? It is classical greek architecture with the columns the you know doric ionic corinthian right um if you've ever been to washington dc and i have an office there and have lived there and practiced there like the one thing we're not short on is classically inspired buildings <laughs> oh so. you walk out of that fucking subway station uh, and it's like you're in greece <laughs> yeah, yeah so uh so yeah slight slight bit of slight bit of diversity so that brings us to a piece out in Axios this week, and I love this, called White House Tells Trump Complainers Get Over It. <laughs> and that is, you know, drawing homage from the uh, from the Eagles album uh, after a 20-year hiatus. Um, look, as we know, the White House has been steadily and methodically cleaning house across all agencies to, um, well, you, we call it, uh, you know, comings and goings. Axios calls it, quote, a staff more in sync with an administration starkly different than its predecessor. End of quote. Uh, I think we can edit that down to staff of people that aren't idiots, sycophants and profiteers. <laughs> yeah. Rick Grinnell comes. Oh, to God. Mind. <laughs> uh, uh, and I love this. White yeah. House spokesperson Mike Gwynn says uh, he's like, hey. 
elections have consequences. Uh, President Biden. All credit to me on that one. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Biden won with a commanding victory in November. And now he has the right and obligation to make sure the positions he fills reflect the priorities he campaigned on. Yeah. And and and. Uh, in case you were wondering, uh, Trump appointees have not been going gentle into that good night. Uh, Vanessa Ambrosini told Politico, quote, I got completely screwed. Wait till you uh, see your tax bill for the deferred tax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you know, look like she was uh, terminated after Biden was sworn in on January 20th. Yeah, she lost her, uh, I think, parental leave and other benefits. And, you know, we just heard from poor Justin over on the Arts (laughs) Council saying, I was shocked and dismayed to learn that three of my fellow commissioners, along with myself, have been asked to resign or be terminated by the president. (laughs) And and let's not forget Michael Ellis. We've talked about him in multiple episodes. Mm. He was shoved into the top legal job at NSA after spending months hiding politically embarrassing and almost certainly illegal conversations in a code word classified system at the NSC. He complained that he had, quote, been put on administrative leave after nearly, uh, sorry, been been put on administrative leave for nearly three months without any explanation or updates. Well, my friend, in the words of the immortal Don Henley, get over it. <laughs> I just love this. <laughs> oh, it's so good, right? I mean, and I still am dying to know what's in that nice system, the NICE yeah. code word classified. One of the conversations hidden in there, the infamous phone call with Zelensky, he was impeached for in his first impeachment trial. Yeah. Uh impeachment alpha. Um so anyway, uh yeah, Michael Ellis, good riddance. And and you know what? I love just get over it. You're right. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, that's our show for episode 20. So thank you for listening these 20 weeks since January 20th, 2021. A lot of 20s. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I'm only, I'm just about to turn 20 as well. So that's very cool. Um, God, thank God I'm not just turning 20. Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, but this has been great. This has been a really fun show this week. Thank you very much. And thanks to all of our new patrons. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here, Andrew? No. This has been fun. All right. Everybody, until next week. Let's let's unfuck this administration. <laughs> let's <laughs> I've been Allison Gill. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Andrew Torres. Thank you so much for listening to Clean Up on Aisle 45. Bye-bye. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.